What is going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 22 of the Big Fly Pod with your co-host now, Kyle May, officially part of the podcast. Christian, unfortunately, is on the 60-day IL, is what he told me to say here on the podcast today. And myself, Ty Lewin, uh, we have the pleasure of doing our second interview uh, with Sean Spradling. And Sean has made a name for himself, of course, with the WBC expert on Twitter. He is also the host of the WB, WBC Central Show on the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast. Sean, unfortunately, on the first time I interviewed you, I called it the Baseball Is Boring podcast, and that was not the case here uh, for the last couple of weeks, my friend. Um, So thank you so much uh, for jumping on the show, man. We appreciate you. I definitely did notice that in the first time I came on. I don't know if you noticed, like, the rest of the pod. I was like... Yeah, so uh, make sure to like subscribe to my podcast. It's on the Baseball <laughs> Isn't Boring Podcast Network. <laughs> so, no, you're totally I did good. Not, I'm so glad. I, this is why this is not my career uh, in any way, shape, or form. This is what I do for fun, man. Um, well, dude, it. let's get into it, man. We got so much to unpack. Uh, you go, as we were jokingly saying uh, pre- you know, uh, on the show before we started recording about you know, you went from interviewing on the Big Fly Pod to interviewing with John Morosi. So things are a little bit different now for you. And the next thing you know, you're interviewing Nolan Arenado. So uh, you're kind of a big deal now. <laughs> um, so I, I know uh, it's got to be just absolutely insane. But um, I just kind of want to start off the cuff with just a question that I think kind of embodies this entire experience for you. When you began covering the WBC uh, and, and specifically international baseball, which I, I believe became first for you, was there ever even a thought that you would witness Shohei Otani throwing his hat and his glove at the Japanese dugout in celebration after Mike Trout nodded to him with two outs, bottom of the ninth, U.S. is down one. It's mano y mano, the best at bat, people say, in the history of baseball. What has this entire experience been like, and did you ever think you'd witness anything like that? There is, there's no chance that if you asked me last year, if I thought I'd be able to witness that in person, like see that with my own two eyes, that I would think that that's reality. Like absolutely no way. I, not only does that, that did that at bat was that just the most improbable thing ever, but on a personal note, I mean, it's just been a crazy last couple of months to be able to be there at all in person for any of the games was just it was a dream. I'm, it's still sinking in, honestly, that I was able to go and talk to the players and like meet so many incredible people from around the world, man. It's been, it's been crazy. But that at bat, I mean, we could do a whole podcast series on just that at bat, I feel like. <laughs> and so the entire, entire stadium, I'm guessing, is standing up. There's almost like you kind of hear a pin drop a little bit. Like, what is that? Because on TV, when you're watching it, you're almost just so ingrained into the at bat. And you're not really focused on the crowd whatsoever because you're watching two of the greatest ever to do it. But I mean, was it quiet? Was it loud? Like, what was that like at that moment? Yeah, it so I I think it all kind of started probably the seventh inning, probably the top of the seventh inning when U.S. was was batting Um, because for this game, I was sitting. So I was there. I was part of the press. I was in the press box for a couple of the games. For this game, I was not important enough to be in the press box. I was lower level for sure. So I was in the auxiliary press box out in the outfield, way in right field. But because of that, I honestly, like, I got to experience a better, um, to, I got to better experience what the crowd was like because I was in the crowd. And so 
it was probably about the seventh inning when you could start feeling and hearing a buzz of like, oh, like, let's look at the scorecards. Like, well, it looks like if, if like these guys go up to bat in this inning and then these guys, like if this guy gets on base in the eighth inning, maybe Trout can come up to bat in the ninth inning. And then about the sixth, seventh inning, that's when Otani went out to the, the bullpen as well. I don't know if they talked about it on TV much, but every time that he would get up and go from the bullpen to the dugout and back and forth, cause he'd have to hit everybody was screaming. It was like, no way. Like he's going to, he's going to pitch in this game. We didn't, we didn't know if he'd be able to um, because the angels originally were like, yeah, we want him to pitch the first game of the tournament. And then in the quarterfinals so that he could start opening day for the angels. But then the day before the angels, uh, one of the angels, I think beat reporters came out and said like, Hey, they have, accounted for him to pitch one inning in the final and so because of that everybody expected him to close if they if they were uh, winning at that point so yeah it was just the buzz started in the seventh inning through the eighth inning and then we saw oh man like he is the third batter due up in the ninth inning like you said everybody was standing two outs um it just it could not have been better two outs full count teammates i said this on on another pod recently I mean, it was basically like Babe Ruth versus like Randy Johnson, but like they're in the same era on the same MLB team in the last at bat of the world cup of baseball. So it, you can debate whether it's the best at bat of the hundreds of thousands of at bats we've ever had, but it's definitely one of the most impactful at bats and most like, I feel like important at bats for baseball history. Um, And to be there, it was, it was just special, man to see Shohei Otani like strike him out with that nasty sweeper across the plate yeah. that was just oh just filthy to throw like multiple fastballs over 100 miles per hour to Mike Trout it it was ridiculous and then he threw his hat and his glove and like jumped into his team's arms it was it was ridiculous man it was just special it was. They it definitely was. did have a camera on. Uh, they definitely did have a camera on Otani, by the way. They had an Otani cam going out. And it was going back and forth from the bullpen back to the dugout. So that was kind of cool to see from a TV <laughs> standpoint as well, because they definitely had the camera on like the whole time when he was doing all that stuff back and forth. So, just so, good, just so yeah. amazing for baseball. And when Japan was able to overcome Mexico in that semifinal game, it was hard to think about what team you hated because it was like, as a fan of baseball, you were like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to baseball. Some argue, some say, Oh, it's the best thing since the steroid era or other things in reference to baseball. And you just think about where the world of baseball is at this point. We're starting to now baseball has now put themselves in a position to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, shorten up the game so we're going to speed up the game we're going to make it more enticing for fans to go and be interested in the game the entire time Um, a bunch of jokes on social media but this truly i think mlb got handed a gold nugget with what happened for this you know obviously for this wbc man i mean just incredible stuff um when so with your experience there so you were in az to start. I want to get into that a little bit. So which games did you attend when you went out to Arizona? Yeah. So in Arizona, I was there for the pool pool stage. Um, I was there for two days, two packed days. Well, I was there for three technically, but two days of baseball. So Saturday and Sunday on Saturday, the first game I saw was, if I remember correctly, it was, I think it was Mexico. Colombia was the first one where Mexico lost to Colombia. The second game of the, yes, that makes sense. Because the second game of Saturday, the first day I was there, was USA, Great Britain. Mm-hmm. And the following day was uh, 
Great Britain, Canada, I believe. And then the night was, right, yeah. was the marquee premier game of the of the pool with USA versus Mexico. Awesome. And so in my personal opinion, the the US Mexico game, them losing the Mexico, I think uplifted this team to get them to where they needed to be because obviously with the pitching side of things, I knew that it, the US was going to struggle a little bit because that was the weakest part of their when it came to starting rotation. Their back end was disgusting with Williams and Presley. Um yeah. but from your perspective, was it the best thing for the WBC seeing the U.S. lose? Oh, that's a good question. Um, wasn't expecting that. Okay. Because I haven't had I – don't, I don't know if many people are talking about that because normally it's like, oh, yeah, USA won last time. That was really good for baseball in 2017. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, honestly, I would say, yeah. I would say it was probably the best thing for baseball to see the USA lose – for a couple reasons. One, I think it's going to ignite a fire in a lot of those U.S. players. I don't think they're going to want to lose again. Um, if so, like being on the field and like seeing a lot of those players after the Japan USA final, a lot of those U.S. players were not happy. Like Devin Williams, I specifically was just, he was not happy with the loss. Um, Trout walked off without talking to anybody. Uh, any of the press after the game, after the ceremonies, like he didn't talk to anybody until he was in the, like after the locker room, like probably an hour later. Um, so it was, they were mad and that was kind of motivated. I mean, it motivated me. It was, it kind of fired me up like, Oh, okay. These guys actually want to win this thing. It's, it's not like a exhibition as the word everybody wants to use on, on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I think that's one reason. I think the other reason is people loved this Jap Jap Japanese team. Um, for a lot of reasons, but I think one, the biggest reason is because of Shohei Otani. I mm -hmm. think Shohei Otani has made himself the clear, clear face of baseball. Like mm -hmm. I've wanted Mike Trout to be the face of baseball for a long time. And I think he has been for a while, but there's just no way that anybody can be the face of baseball other than Shohei Otani right now. Yeah. Like I've, there is, it's almost like a cheat code on Twitter. Like if I ever tweet anything about Shohei Otani, or if I ever want Twitter interaction, I just say Shohei Otani in a tweet and it gets like hundreds of likes. Like it's, it's crazy. Like yeah. people love him across all demographics across the world. So to see him be able to have that celebration of throwing his bat and his glove and like, just like screaming and to see him in his, the, in the champagne shower afterwards. Like, I think that's what baseball needed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was probably the best thing for baseball. To now see him win. I feel really bad because I, I, I know you wanted to answer the question of, of that, my question though was with Mexico beating the U.S. Was that at the time the best thing for the tournament that the U.S. now is kind of in a in a fold because you can look at it two ways. I feel like right, you can look at it as well if they lose the U.S. for this tournament, that's going to be a yeah. massive embarrassment for the WBC, right? Because you just lose that entire U.S. population. You're going to lose a lot of uh, of viewers. But on the flip side, it added this whole element where it's like now you really want people to look into these games because you really want them to to make it through and they got to beat Colombia and Canada. So yeah, while your your answer it's funny because I was going to ask you that later about was the best thing for the WBC Japanese the Japanese beating the U.S. I agree with you a hundred percent that it is the best thing for the WBC, especially for twenty twenty six. We'll talk about later. But if we're looking at that matchup right there, where Mexico absolutely demolishes, it's not even close. It's not even 
There's no what ifs, you know, this or that. And you predicted on the podcast, the previous podcast, you said Mexico is the sleeper and watch what they do. And they were legitimately were almost a uh, a uh, could have been an all, another all time matchup between the U.S. and Mexico in, in the championship game. Yeah. But what did that let's let's maybe tra- transition that question a little bit. What was the environment like at that U.S.-Mexico game? Because obviously the U.S. was not the home team. Yeah, and I know you said you don't do this professionally, but that was a beautiful transition in a massive error that I made. So thank you for oh, not lo- stopping Dude, me no, 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 my- no. Like you are <laughs> – you have so much to unpack. I'm shocked that – like for you to pause at certain points is impressive because you have just so much to unpack. But go ahead, my friend. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, So – yeah, the Mexico-U.S. game, to answer your original question, I think, yes, it probably was best for baseball at the time for Mexico to beat them because Mexico Mexican baseball is growing a ton um, over the last couple of years, but now it's like it's amplified even more with, um, with this performance. This is the best Mexican national team we've ever seen. Randy Rosarena was the face of baseball for a week. Like yep. it was, it was crazy. Um, but then also to, to see it, I mean, to see the USA lose, I mean, pretty significantly, like there was a point in that game, we were at the stadium and we were like, oh man, are they going to get run ruled? Like, is this, it's going to be a 10 run lead almost. So I think it was a wake up call. I don't think with that loss, there would have been as much fire in a lot of these players in, in team USA to make it all the way to the final. So probably it was a good thing. Cause it, I think it's good when we see Team USA be um, human um, and to lose some of these games, but I don't think it's but but it's still good for them to make it really far in the tournament because all we always want to see that the stars play all the way to the end. So I think that it was probably good. the The atmosphere was it was one hundred percent a home game for Mexico. Like it, <laughs> it was like probably 70% Mexican fans in that stadium. So anytime that they did anything, the stadium was loud. It was electric. They were screaming, which is funny because it was in the U S I mean, it's close to Mexico, yeah. but it was just like a, like a U.S. Mexico soccer game where it's like, even in the play in the U S it's still a home game for Mexico. So that was really crazy to see. It was cool. Um, a lot of the Mexican fans were just super passionate. I've been able to talk to like a lot of Mexican reporters just to see, hear how, like what the reactions been uh, about this tournament and that game specifically in Mexico. And a lot of people that don't watch baseball have like started following it for the, for the tournament after that. So it's, it's really cool. So special, man. Um, now I, you talk about that environment and now, you know, you had the pleasure and I, I want to get into this a lot. Cause this was so cool when I got to see that you went to Miami um, as this of course was the, where really what people thought of as the premier pool with Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, uh, and, and Venezuela, um, and some other teams as well that were pretty, pretty solid. Um, you, you get to go there now for a couple games and I'll let you go into that. Um, that same environment from that Mexico U S game tenfold when it came to the games that were in Miami with the, uh, the playoff games and everything, or kind of similar, like walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, I was able to. So in Phoenix, I was there for the, a couple of days for the pool. Um, and then for Miami, I was there in uh, for the semifinals and the final. I wish I would have been there for the quarterfinals because that USA 
Venezuelan game with Trey Turner's Grand Slam. That was one of the coolest moments I've ever seen, man. Like it was, I was sitting on my couch here wishing I was there, but it was, oh my gosh, I was screaming. I was, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm shocked police weren't called about how loud I was screaming and running onto the street. It was, <laughs> it was a cool moment, but continue. It was, I mean, it was, it was super cool. One of the coolest moments for Team USA in WBC history, for sure. Up there with like the Adam Jones catch. For the semifinals, when I was finally there in um, in Miami. And honestly, dude, we can talk about whichever game you want to focus on because th- there were so many narratives around every game. The first game that I saw there, uh, I believe this was the first game, was USA-Cuba, which was crazy because it wasn't that great of a game but like just all of the storylines and narratives and like history behind that rivalry and the political discourse between the two countries and cuba never playing in miami we're literally playing in little havana in the marlin stadium so that game was crazy i mean you had um mexico japan where japan almost lost all the way down to the last at bat they were losing i don't even know if they led the entire game and then you had the finals so I don't know. It was, yeah, I think tenfold, <laughs> probably every, every fan base was just showing out. Like even the Japanese fans from across the world, they all showed up. The The Japanese media was probably half, if not more of the media press, like representation at the stadium. So it was just, it was ridiculous, man. It didn't matter what team was playing. The, the, the stadium was loud. Like in the pool stage, if you had like, I love their fan base, but I don't mean to throw them under the bus, but like Great Britain didn't have a ton of fans there. So they weren't really that loud in the semis in the final. Every single team was loud. It was it was wild. Fantastic, man. Now, what kind of uh, what was the access like for you? Because I, I almost want to predict how this all went for you, but I don't, I don't want to just in case I, I don't want to be disrespectful. Or anything. It felt as if like you were the, the Twitter guy that was all over all this. You can go to you for any piece of information and then next thing you know, you're on the field having access to these players, videos, clips. You're in a car ride to Miami. It looks like you're in a uh, a limo. It looks like you're being, you know, escorted by 17 police cars. I mean, it was unbelievable. And that's the beauty of social media. But what kind of access, like what, what all entailed this whole experience for you? Because you're on the field and everything at this point, man. It was awesome. It's very kind of you, Tyler. Yeah, it was... Uh... It is all still a blur for me, honestly. <laughs> like last time we talked, I don't, I'm pretty sure I said like, I don't even think I'm going to be able to go or I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to the games at all. Yeah. So it, I don't, it all started last year covering the WBC. I just tried to learn as much as humanly possible about this tournament. Try to like give as much information and teach as much as I can about the national teams, all, all 20 as possible. So because of that, I started to gain sort of a following, um, but the media access was specifically through um, the the podcast network that I have my podcast on. Don't technically work for them, but like Rob Bradford, the guy that runs that was like, reached out to me. He's like, hey man, you're awesome. Like, love your stuff. Like, this is what baseball needs right now. Um, do you want to start a podcast? And so started that podcast and because, through him, he was able to help me get credentials and I mean, from there, it was like, it's like I said, still sinking into me. doesn't feel real. Like when I was able to go on the field, um, talk to the players, talk to a ton of the media and like writers and the press from these different countries, man, it was crazy. So not really much of like, 
mean, it's not my job. I don't, I don't even, I don't get paid for any of this, but the, the access to be able to go to the games at all, but then also get to talk to the players was just, it was surreal. Now you get, um, so with, I have a question here where it's like, what's your favorite one-on-one interview that you have with a player or coach? And I think it all depends upon the fact of, you know, you had uh, Sasaki, is it Sasaki? Did I say his name properly? Yep. You have Sasaki, him yeah. literally after he wins the WBC, but then you have an interview with Nolan Arenado where you can tell that that guy put aside everything with baseball and, 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 and the result of that game. Um, you get a lot of these players and moments that guys just wish as, as reporters that have done it for years that wish they could have that moment with that player to understand what that means to them. But is there any particular interview that maybe, maybe you either didn't post or maybe that you, uh, that you posted, maybe didn't have as much of an impact um, on social media impact that you felt like that was your favorite interview did, or is it some of the players that we already mentioned? Yeah, I, I mean, every, it was crazy, man. Every single interview that I did, every guy was so nice. Um, This was my first time ever interviewing any players, ever doing anything with media or press, like in person. So it was so foreign to me. It took me a day or two to even be comfortable enough to like walk up to someone until I like turned to like some of the people I knew that I was like, how do you do this? And they were just just, like, go up and ask. So so yeah, dude, it was crazy. Crazy. I started and it started with, this is just a side story, but it started with on like such a horrible note for my self-esteem because the very first interview, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk up to this, like Chavez young, this like kind of minor league journeyman. That's been uh, in the blue Jays organization for a while. Plays on great Britain's team. Yeah. He seems super nice. Probably really easy to talk to. I was like, okay, I'm finally going to talk to this, this player for the first time, get me started on my interview journey. I interview him. It was great. Like he was so nice. It was like just a two minute interview on the field, just talking about like Bahamian baseball and how he's connected to Great Britain. And then he, after we get off the interview, I walk away. I was like, my heart was beating super fast. I go to my video and the audio didn't record at all. Oh boy. Oh no. Oh no. So I have the video, I'm watching it on my phone, but I can't hear anything. And I'm just like, (laughs) I'm so upset at myself. It was, it was so frustrating because the mic like that I plugged in the transmitter, like didn't turn on right or didn't work, whatever. But Dude, I was like, sucks. I finally got my like confidence up to, to interview this player and it just, it didn't work. <laughs> so did you ask him to run it? Did you, did you ask him to run it back or what? <laughs> no, I didn't even approach him the rest of the tournament. I was like, I, I'm going to feel bad <laughs> if I even talk to him again. <laughs> uh, no, was, but he was a fun player. He was a really fun player during that tournament. Very, very fun. He led the WBC in stolen bases five in four games. And he, and he faced, and he had behind the dish, the game they played the U.S. would have been, would have been JT because Will Smith was against Mexico and then JT. So, yeah. I mean, dude, that's, that's still incredible. And Columbia had Jorge Alfaro. I know that, that kid, he made a name for himself. Um, oh, what yeah. that, that was such, a, I, I didn't expect that, but also too, it's like that graphic <laughs> where it says F around and find out, you know, that type of thing. And that's how it's felt with this podcast yep. sometimes too. Um, but that is <laughs> such an incredible story right there. Um, yeah, man, you know, let's, the, I will say real quick, the, the yeah. most, I would say the, my favorite interview was probably my interview with Shugo Maki. He's the second baseman, first baseman, uh, kind of plays both on, on J- Japan's team. And after the, after the final, I got, I just walked up to a couple players on both teams. Like you said, Nolan Arenado, that was super cool. Cause he's been such an advocate for the WBC and like 
he, he's just like so proud to represent our country. So mm-hmm. it's awesome to, to talk to him. But with the Shugo Maki one, I just like walked up to a couple of Japanese players that I knew and was like, hey, real quick, like, do you know any English at all? And they're kind of like, uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and so I was like, can, can I talk to you just for like a minute, like just like 30 seconds? And he was like, yeah, sure. So I, I interviewed him and I don't know if you saw this one, but I, I like asked him, I was like, what are you feeling right now? Uh, or like, what, yes. like, what are, what does it feel like to be the champion? And he was like, uh, thank you. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay. That's a great answer. <laughs> that's um, fantastic, but it, man. it just made me so happy because like, I don't know Japanese, but the fact that he's even trying to attempt English, like he knows a couple words, but he's still like trying to understand and like, He's just in such a good mood after winning the world cup of baseball to like, he wants to talk to an, a reporter in English, like just props to him. And he was so kind and so funny through that interview. It was like a minute long, but that was, that was probably my favorite one. Yeah. I love the little Mikey head too. That's the big thing right now. I love that. I just love how, where baseball's going, man. It's awesome. Now let's look at the tournament a little bit. I mean, a couple questions here, just about some of the teams that really either had wild you know, wild kind of journeys through the tournament or, or kind of suddenly um, just kind of fell. I mean, let's start with the DR. I mean, in Dominican Republic, you don't make it out of pool play. Um, some say I've, I've seen some thoughts on social media where people are like, well, you know, I didn't believe that Venezuela, Puerto Rico, and the DR should be in the same pool because you want to have that, those best players in the, ter- in, in the playoffs and the tournament. Um, but you know, in your personal opinion, you can answer that part of it if you want to, but just your personal opinion, why, why do you think that they didn't make it out of, out of pool play just besides the fact that of course, that they were where they were third, but what, why in particular did this team not make where people thought that it was going to be Japan DR or Japan us or us DR in the final turn in the final game? Yeah, man, that was, I mean, this was probably the most disappointing result of any team. They were literally going into the WBC. They were the betting favorites to win the tournament. The Dominican Republic was. So it was a shock that they didn't make it out of the tournament. I, or, or out of the pool stage. I, I will say like it was surprising, but at the same time, they were in the pool that was the hardest. It was the pool of death. Like there were three of the top teams in the world of any national teams that were playing in that same Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and Venezuela. So there had to be one team that didn't make it out. And I had been talking previously as well. One of the other more underrated teams was Venezuela. People didn't realize like how strong, how stacked that team, that lineup and the pitching staff was top to bottom. The team that surprised me was Puerto Rico. I didn't think that they were going to make it out of the pool. I thought it was going to be DR and Venezuela. But man, this is something that I've learned about the Puerto Rican team following the WBC and like researching from previous tournaments is it does not matter who they bring to the WBC. They always show up like they're consistently underrated. I ranked them lower, uh, ranked them like sixth in the WBC uh, power rankings before before the tournament. Um, I had Puerto Rico and Venezuela as uh, Dominican Republic and Venezuela as like a definitive tier above them. And yet they showed up, man. I, anything can happen in like a single game of baseball. And the fact that they beat the, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico did, um, I don't know. It shows that anything can happen in baseball, but yeah, it was a disappointing result for, for the DR. I don't know what it was, honestly. Like, I, I think I've seen people blame 
the management. I've seen people blame the players that weren't able to come. But at the end of the day, like every team that shows up, that you you show up with the roster that you have, and you, you got there's no excuses after that. You got to play. You got to play with those players. Same with the U.S. Like we didn't have our top pitchers, but I hate the people that make those excuses. Like, well, if we would have had these pitchers, we would have won, mm. but we didn't. So like, yeah. it's the same with the DR. They lost a lot of their top players, but they still had one of the best teams in the tournament. So that was shocking. Um, but yeah, I don't know. In 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 the states here, um, and great points by the way in regards to DR. There in, in the states, I would say obviously the most difficult teams to stay up to date with. Which you know, credit to you for all the you know, um, you know, all the media attention you had towards the Tokyo Pool. And is it Tai Chung? Tai Chung is that how you say it? Yeah, I think Tai Chung, Tai Chung. Yeah, the the Taiwan pool in in particular. Yep. Um, unfortunately, just with the time difference, it, I wish they could figure that out. I, it's it's you just can't. So, um, yeah. But you know, a lot of people, you know, you saw the way that pool started in the Netherlands right away. Two zero. It seems like they're going to dominate through the rest of the tournament. We're going to see a very very underrated matchup in Japan versus Netherlands, right? And all of a sudden they just fall off. I mean, from your perspective, I mean, I know you were up for those games at two 30 in the morning, mountain standard time. I had no idea how you do that or how much coffee you had. You don't have to get into that in particular, but <laughs> what, like what, why, how did that, like, how did that unfold? Like how did the Netherlands not pull through? Like what happened there? Did they not have enough pitching? Like what went down with the Netherlands? Yeah. It, it's funny because I think I actually got to watch more pool A games, the, the one in Taiwan, than I did pool D in the uh, in the pool stage, which was the best pool that everybody wanted to watch with Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and, and Venezuela. The reason for that is because like I could be in front of a TV at 3 a.m., <laughs> whereas with the pool D, I was in Phoenix, so I was watching those games in person. Yep. So I didn't get to watch a lot of the pool games for Pool D, which was happening at the same time. So that was funny. Lots of coffee. That's the answer to that. But <laughs> I, yeah, that pool was so it was crazy because it it totally flipped after the first couple of games. Netherlands, Kingdom of the Netherlands, they started 2-0, and Cuba started 0-2. No one thought they had any chance to make it out of the pool, and then. The last couple of games, it was flipped. Netherlands lost their next two and Cuba won their, their final two. So if you looked at the standings, every team in the pool was two and two. So where Cuba won the pool, made it to the quarterfinals uh, and and made it all the way to, uh, to be able to play the USA. Um, on the other side of the pool, Taiwan, who hosted, they were also two and two and yet they got eliminated. And have to like they'll have to requalify for the next WBC. Mm-hmm. So heartbreaking for them. But yeah, with with the with the Netherlands team, the Dutch team, man, I don't know. It it was shocking to me because they were they were the odds-on favorite to win um, the pool. I think Taiwan showed up in that game against against the Netherlands. They won nine to five. Honestly, I think a big reason for that was the home crowd. That was probably the. I mean. Was their insane. stadium it was a party from first pitch all the way to the end of the game every yeah. single game that taiwan was playing so that's some home field advantage for sure 
Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you got to see any of that, but a I lot did. of that was on Twitter. I mean, it was yeah. like you're you're watching this stadium and you see it kind of shaking. And what was really, really cool with that was that you had the first game opening game was Cuba versus um oh Netherlands. Netherlands. Yeah, it was Netherlands. I thought, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was like okay, like, this is really cool. Like, it's getting going. Obviously, it's night at the time that we're watching it, and it's day there. Um, and you're watching, you're like, okay, this is great that it's starting. But, like, the fan base, obviously, there, all you heard was this damn horn, which your emojis <laughs> and everything about that damn horn was so funny because it was like, that is legitimately <laughs> the only thing I hear during this game is the announcers that are starting off with their first game. You got an Australian announcer and an American announcer. And then we have this horn guy. They finally <laughs> show him in like the third or fourth inning. And I'm like, who in the hell is this guy? And how do we yeah. get him to the United States uh, for the Chicago Cubs ASAP? Because we need that in the crowd a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, your clips come out of the first uh, Chinese Taipei game. And it was like, Holy cow, this is the this is what baseball is in Taiwan, Tokyo, or excuse me, Japan and and what it is. And so it's just like, wow. And then then they have the game against the Netherlands. And it was like, I don't know how you win a game there. I, I legitimately don't know how you're supposed to win a game. I know like the it, uh, Italy guys were saying like it was the loudest crowd I've ever been a part of anything I've ever experienced. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I mean, that was really kind of what kickstarted the WBC was like, oh, this is this means something. This is World Cup of baseball for these fans. Yeah, yeah I think that was the perfect pool to kick off the WBC because like we got to see how and it wasn't it, it's different for every pool. I think that we picked the perfect four venues for the WBC. Honestly, we got to see like in Phoenix, a lot of the Mexican fans there were cut. Work because it's close to Mexico. That was super cool to see all the U.S. fans against the Mexican fans. That was awesome. In Miami, Miami has the biggest population in the U.S. One of the biggest populations of Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and Nicaraguans. Even Jewish population is massive there for, for Team Israel. So it, it it was the perfect representation for all of those teams in Pool D. But then you go over to Tokyo and Taichung. And those are two completely different baseball atmospheres and even different from each other because for, for Tokyo with the Japanese baseball, you have very loud, energetic, lots of songs. But then when your own team is playing, it's dead silent. Like anytime that Sam, Samurai Japan was up to bat, it was dead silent until like the pitch happened. And, and then like if, if one of the players got a hit, they would scream super, super loud. So that difference was crazy. And then in Taichung, from first pitch to the end of the game, it was just a party. They have the cheerleaders and and the the yell like leaders. It was so much fun. So it was really cool to see all the differences between those cultures. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. Um, let's see here. I mean, I, I have so many questions to go through. Um, I think I think it's ending. It says ending in less yep. than a minute. So and we're gonna hear this on the recording too, and we're just gonna roll right into the next one, folks. We, now this is what you deal with with podcasts that that are on a, on a low budget. So we're gonna hop into the next segment here. Perfect. All right. So, Sean, when looking at teams, you, know, you think about Italy and and some of these others that may have not had stars. And we're more of, you know, like Czech Republic, where you got teams that are guys that are legitimately going home and being doctors or, you know, 
uh, blue collar workers or, 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 you know, what, you know, they're going back to their regular lives and just wanting to play for their country. Um, and then like back to like team Italy where, you know, you have some big leaguers on the squad, but there are some guys out there that can play for these teams. Um, does this, what, what the WBC meant to this, to the United to the world this past season, does this get this over the hump a little bit of getting some more guys that, we may have never thought to come over and play in the WBC and just want to do spring training and do that. Like, do we get this over the hump now where we will legitimately have team after team after team loaded with players that are playing for their home country or that maybe their family's home country, you know, what kind of walk us through what your thoughts are there. Yeah. I, I think that there was a pretty big hump to get over before 2017 that I think 2017 helped a lot with. And then I think that there's another big hump that this is going to help us get over. Um, I think that it's going to grow. It, it grew exponentially from, from 2006 till 2017. And then it grew that much and more from 2017 to 2023. So I can imagine that it's, it's only going to take off from here. I, <clears throat> when it comes to the players that have decided to play for the national teams, um, I think the best way to say it is what I've learned from covering the WBC and I've covered all 20 teams, which has kind of been my like niche is hope like to try to bring all 20 teams together, all, all 20 national teams and their fan bases. What I've learned is that the narrative is that players have not wanted to play in the past, but the, the reality of that is, and the caveat to that is only the American players haven't wanted to play in the past all of the Latin American teams, all of the East Asian teams, they will always and have always brought their very best players. So we're the only ones kind of lagging behind because in our minds and just in our um, like thought process, it's like, well, MLB is Major League Baseball is what pays the bills. This is what's been the most important thing in baseball for 100 years. So like this is my priority. And that's the same with uh, still with a lot of uh, American pitchers. But I think now, I think that this is that's going to change. I think that it already did change this year with the the bats on Team USA. Like we had all the best pitch, uh, all the best batters. Like if you looked across the field, I, you could make an argument that every single one of those players was the very best at their position in Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. like across the entire field. So Absolutely. I think that we're already over that hump on the offensive side. It's just the pitching now. And hopefully this is kind of what I talked about earlier. Hopefully that fire that kind of was ignited in the, in team USA about losing to Japan, hopefully because of that, we will, we'll see more pitchers, play in the WBC yep. for team USA. Every other t- team already has that Sandy Alcantara, uh, Christian Javier played for team Dominican Republic. You had Ranger Suarez and Pablo Lopez and um, Martin Perez played for, um, for Venezuela. And then you had the best player in the entire world in Shohei Otani and, and play for and pitch for Japan. So it's really only team USA. Once we catch up, I think it will be fully the, tr- like truly the full baseball world cup that we want it to be, but it's really only like the, the U S pitchers that we're still trying to get on board. A hundred percent. Yeah. I know like Logan Webb, North Nestor Cortez and Clayton Kershaw. Um, I know you mentioned earlier where you're like, it, 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 it pains you when people do say, you know, we, we came here with this roster. I'm one of those people and it hated, I know, I know you, I know what you mean by hate. Cause it's just, it's so hard because you sit there and, and go, man, it would have made it so much more special, but you also wonder, 
do we blow you know blow teams out more do we do we end up being so much more successful that doesn't make it so enticing you know it the storyline it was a it was a it, it was a book of art the way that the 2023 WBC was and I would never change a thing about it it was the best thing for baseball that they've had in a very very long time um when baseball yeah. truly needed it I think a, a great question to ask is Going off of what you said with those players being so pissed off afterwards, Mike Trout mm-hmm. not even talking to the media, which is totally understandable. I mean, he legitimately just lost to a teammate, you know, that kind of sh- showed that he was better. Mike Trout is a competitive individual. I have an interesting question, though. Do you think if Mike Trout is in the playoffs, let's say 50% of the seasons that he has had in his MLB career, do you think he does the WBC? Hmm. Have to think about that for a second. My thought, my my initial thought is yes, he still does the WBC because for a couple of reasons. One, even if he was in the playoffs, well, it's hard because it's a hypothetical. We, he's not in the playoffs. We haven't seen him in the, in the playoffs and like succeed and actually be able to experience that playoff atmosphere. Yep. What everybody says the WBC is, but we see a lot of players that do talk about this WBC as even the ones that have been to the World Series and won the World Series, they say that this is one of the greatest baseball moments of their entire life. You saw Trey Turner say that that was the biggest hit of his entire career, mm-hmm. even with being in the World Series multiple times. So I, my thought is that, yeah, he'd still want to play. You saw all these, all the other top players who doesn't want to play with Mookie Betts and JT Romuto and Trey Turner and Paul yep. Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. So I think that he would. And he does. He said he came out and said, like, after 2017, that he regretted not playing in 2017. He like chose to not play so that he could focus on his team. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I wish I was on that team. I regret not playing. So this was finally something that he got to do that he checked off the bucket list. And he still said before the final, he was like, I'm already in for 2026. So that is so cool. And, And you just think about some of these younger players that are on the come up, you know, uh, obviously Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, he showed out. Yeah. I mean, that dude is is a future star in our game. Totally. Uh, guys like, you know, uh, Jordan Walker and some of the list of guys that you put on. Kyle Kyle's actually a huge Sox fan, so he was very appreciative of the fact you put Oscar Colas uh, there on the list. Um, I thought it was a really interesting question because I thought about it, and I'm like, the WBC is just another avenue for these guys to experience something that, as the World Series has brought to so many players, but – when I thought about it more and more, I looked at the statistics of like, I think it was like the, the Japan Mexico game having like 70 million viewers versus game six or seven of the world series from the Astros and Phillies was like 20 million. So it made me think, yes, it's an obvious answer, but I thought about Mike Trout's career so far. And I'm like, this guy has legitimately been the best player in baseball for so long has consistently put out unbelievable numbers. He was injured last year and had 40 homers. Like this guy is a generational talent, but what I think going back to what we talked about earlier, where it was like Japan, us, you know, Japan winning mm-hmm. was just the best thing for baseball moving forward. I couldn't agree more with your answer where it's, we legitimately now have something where it's a little bit of a kind of a rivalry again, in reference to WBC and international baseball that I think is going to really entice people to be wanting to, to, to go to these games and, and, and 
put their TVs on for these games. So again, a great answer there. Can we now consider this though? Can we consider this the world championship and not the world series? Like I, I kind of, yes. I thought about this. I was like, why are we considering like, I got a t-shirt upstairs. It says Cubs 2016 world champion shirt. And I'm like that, that nobody in, you know, <laughs> Japan has this shirt. So why do I, why is this even a thing? Right? Like why I, I wish, I hope that is the thing moving forward. <laughs> I'm fully on board with that. I, I'm just trying to like subtly change that narrative, like just <laughs> by like calling Japan the world champions. I'm not saying like we need to say that the World Series champions aren't world champions, but just in my own tweets, I'm like, yeah, world champions, Japan. Uh, even in like my, my interviews, I said that. But I'm like, I know people are very opinionated about like either the World Series should be called the world champions or it shouldn't be called the World Series at all. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like you can still call them World Series champions and then the WBC, the world champions. So they could be two different things. Love that. Love that. I, I got one more question for you. I'm going to turn it over to Kyle if he has anything else. Um, but, you know, what is your biggest storyline now going into the 2026 WBC, in your opinion? I think the first, well, first thing that comes to mind is we look at the the last at bat and if my thing is marketing i i, I wanted to market this wbc well and hopefully yeah, i helped with that yeah you kind of did yeah a little bit hopefully they'll someone will hire me to do it next time you actually <laughs> paid but <laughs> i love that but i love that if i'm thinking of it from like a marketing or like a storyline narrative perspective um i think what you got to focus on is how did the last wbc end we had it with the last at bat was maybe the most historic at bat the most like uh, followed at bat on social media we've seen in a long, long, long time, maybe ever, maybe not, but for a long time, um, you had teammates, you had Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout, the two best players in the league in, in the world playing against each other that like in the final, in the final at bat, two outs, bases loaded after the game. I don't know if you saw this, but Mike Trout was asked about it. He was like, what, what were you feeling? Like, what do you, what, what do you want to say about your teammate? And he was like, yeah, Shohei Otani won round one. So I think that oh, I did not the next WBC. That. Yeah. Oh. So next WBC, he's like, I'm playing and that was round one. So we better win round two. So Fantastic. I think that you just go, you just like head into the WBC in 2026 with Japan versus USA. Obviously a lot of other teams are going to have a great chance to win, but like that's got to be the storyline. That's going to be headline. Both of those players are playing, coming back for round two. So I, I can't wait. It's only three years away too. I mean, it's awesome. It's it, And what that threw me for a curveball was like, we get this again in three years, and that is more than enough time for the MLB and WBC and whatever whatever congregations or whatever groups work together for that to really build yeah. this to be something very, very special. So excellent. Kyle, uh, anything Agreed. anything to ask here for Sean here? Yeah, just kind of a general question um, about the WBC in general. And Ty and I kind of talked about this about on the last podcast as well. Just talking about from a competitive standpoint, I was talking to Ty about how there has to be some sort of competitive advantage when you're going from this type of baseball in March and you're kind of backing this right into opening day. What are kind of your thoughts about this style of play kind of re- leading right into the regular season? And if there's an advantage or not, or kind of what your thoughts are there? Yeah, definitely. So you're talking about like the on the players perspective, like that kind of advantage for them going from WBC into MLB season. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I, if you look at the way that the players in the WBC, if you, if you see the way that they talk about it, the way that they play with the passion and intensity that they have in the WBC, I mean, I, I think that it can only be good. Of course, we can talk about the, the few injuries that are here and there that happen in the WBC, but of course that happens in spring training as well. Um, I think that it's just inevitable that when you play baseball, people get injured, but from a stand, from the standpoint of like a competitive advantage, you are going into the major league season with a full head of steam. If you listened to, I, I hate to bring this up because this is what all, everybody wants to talk about with the injuries. Edwin Diaz, after that game, the U S was playing at the same time. So they didn't get to watch that game when Edwin Diaz got hurt. But after the game, they had heard about it in the press conference afterwards. It was Mookie Betts and Mike Trout in the press conference. And they were asked about it. They were like, did you see or hear about the Edwin Diaz injury? And they were both like, yeah, it's awful injury. But then immediately after that, they were like, but this is like the best. This is some of the best baseball I've ever played. I would encourage anyone, any player to play in this because I'm having the time of my life. And I, my favorite, I think my favorite part of it was at the end, Mookie Betts was like, if you have a chance to play in it, you have to, he, he said it like five times. He's like, you have, have, have to play in it. You have to play in the WBC. So those are two guys that we don't really see like a ton of like, we don't have a ton of sound bites from them. Yeah. So to get them to talk about the WBC in that manner, I can only imagine that they're, they're telling the truth and that they really did have the time of their life. And we saw Trey Turner already hit a couple bombs in, in spring training after the WBC. I think that they're just coming in with, with a full head of steam. They're already like fully amped up. Um, I, I think if anything, it's kind of hard because then you have to kind of calm yourself down to, to the regular season for major league baseball. But I mean, with these guys, they had the time of their life and they're going to bring that experience and that intensity into Major League Baseball, into that the regular season. So I think it can only bring good. Yeah. And you got to think like those soundboards from Trout and from, you know, guys of that higher nature are only going to recruit more players for the next WBC in 2026. So it's, that's good news overall for, for the tournament in general. Absolutely. Yep, totally. Yeah. After... After Trout had committed last summer, it was just a flurry of commitments for yep. Team USA. Like yep. everybody wanted to play with him in, in bets. So I think it's going to be the same in 2026. We're going to have all of the best hitters and hopefully some of the better pitchers. We were supposed to have, like you said, Kershaw, Webb, Nestor Cortez, but those were very specific like injuries and insurance issues. In 2017, we didn't even have any of the those guys that wanted to play. This time they wanted to play. It's just kind of getting over those secondary hurdles. So. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I actually have one more question um, because Kyle totally. and I had a podcast last week and we talked about this in uh, thoroughly because it was just such an intriguing topic. And I think that there's so many things to go off of this and uh, and where it will go. But Kyle brought up an excellent point where he said, you know, what if this tournament was after the World Series versus prior to opening day? What are your thoughts there? Do you think that's a good idea? Do, I personally think it is, but would love to hear kind of your thoughts on, can we do something like that? And do you think that would have such an impact on MLB as it would uh, more or less than if it were, you know, prior to opening day? Yeah, that, so that is the question that I think has we've been trying to figure out for a long time with the world baseball classic is when is the best time because there's no perfect time to have the world baseball classic 
because owners owners never want to let their players play for someone else, no matter when it happens. So there's no perfect time. But when it comes to the best time to play, the the question has always been before the season, after the season, or an extended all-star break. So those are the three options oh, um, that everybody's talked about. Personally, I would love to see an extended all-star break. I think that if you just extend that, like people love the all-star break. They love the home run derby. So if you have like a home run derby or even like some people have proposed like a USA versus world home run derby or USA versus world, like all-star break, like all-star game, I think that'd be a ton of fun. And then for just an extra week and a half, you have like, you have the world baseball classic. I think that that would be super cool. After this season, I think, it's very interesting and intriguing because a lot of those players already play winter ball. So a lot of those players are used to it. It would still be the same thing in my, in my, in my mind though, with it being hard to get pitchers on board because they shut down right after the season, especially those guys that went deep into October. I don't think we'd see hardly any of the players play or any of the pitchers extend their season even farther after October, if they made it far in the playoffs. And I don't know. I'd love to see it. I think that would be a really fun time too. I just, I have a hard time thinking that players and coaches would allow that. I think I, the, the one that we've settled on with it being during spring training is probably still the best option to get most people on board. But if there is another option that people want to, like the owners are okay with, I'm, I'm fully on board with that. So got it, man. I love that extended all-star break idea. i would never even thought of it from that perspective. That would be a ton of fun. I think. I do. I think so too. Every four years you have, like you have all the best players in the world come together, not only for the all-star break, but you can bring them all into the same country, like the FIFA world cup so that you can actually randomize like a lottery pool system so that you don't have super lopsided, like Japan over here, USA over here, you can actually have like a randomized pool. So I think that'd be a ton of fun. Fantastic. Fantastic, man. Well, Sean, thank you so much for staying on this long, man. Um, we've rolled through two 40 minute, minute segments through zoom. Um, thank you for staying within budget for us. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, man, you've done incredible work. I know that you've posted a video. I think everybody should go check it out. Uh, when Sean talks about what is up next for him and where international baseball is going to go now. Um, I already saw clips from, uh, I believe it was the KBO. I, I, I may be incorrect here, where they showed a new stadium that was built for one of the teams. That looks unbelievable. That looks almost like uh, Texas Ranger Stadium a little bit. Um, but overall, yeah. Sean is doing incredible things for international baseball moving forward. And I think that people need to follow this because we're going to see a lot of those guys now into the uh, MLB conversation here in the next couple of years. And before you know it, uh, hopefully Sean's back on here again uh, in 2026 for his discussions as to why uh, we're going to see another Shohei Mike Trout uh, opportunity here in the WBC. But Sean, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Again, um, I know life is crazy right now for you, but we can't wish we, we can't thank you enough and we wish you uh, the best of luck in your future endeavors. And hopefully, um, you know, you're getting paid for for this because you do incredible work, my friend. Thank you, Tyler. And uh, Kyle is really nice to meet you as well. Um, if whenever we want to do it again, feel free to reach out. If you all have any questions or, or need anything ever, I'm always happy to help. We'll do roster projections every single year, every single month of who we might see. Uh, and and it could get a lot of fun. So thank you so much, my friend. Awesome. Thanks, yeah, John. Thanks, guys.